Turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. We'll get there momentarily. But uh, we continue this series, Follow Me. Jesus said these words over and over to different people. It's one of the uh, recurring themes in his ministry, Follow Me. And, you know, sometimes, have you ever seen a kid who didn't want to go to school, or a kid, and it doesn't have to be a kid, but I'll use a kid in this case, that didn't want to go to school or didn't want to do something, and in their effort, they were so focused on not doing what they didn't want to do that they backed into something that was worse? Like, have you ever seen a kid that was so stone set on not going to college? I'm not going to college. I'm not going to college. And the whole time they're backing out of going to college, they're backing into things that you're thinking to yourself, man, that is recipe for disaster. That's not going to work. And they're so focused on getting away from what it is that they know they don't want that they they haven't really considered any of the other options. And they're backing into other things and it gets them in trouble because they really haven't thought about, all they know is, I don't want this. They haven't thought about anything back here, but the whole time they're backing away from this, they're backing into these things that are going to cause problems for them later in life. They never really consider the alternatives. You know, you can be a Christian or a non-Christian, it doesn't matter. There are certain things that you might feel God nudging you to do, calling you to do, or maybe that he's calling you to quit doing, and you can sense that, and you don't like it, and you think, no, God, I don't like that, and you start to back away. And as you step away, you never really consider that as you disembrace this one thing, you are embracing something over here that could be far worse than the thing that you're backing away from. It's a very common thing that happens with us. And the focus becomes the thing that we don't like rather than the things that we're backing into. We easily forget that to walk in one direction is to walk away from another and it causes all kinds of problems. You can't abandon something without embracing something else. You can't disembrace one thing without embracing something else. The problem is we get so focused on on what we don't like that we don't see the problems that are are right behind us that we're we're, uh, backing into. Consequently, we end up with a lot of problems. And so Christians get into this place uh, sometimes where God's kind of nudging them and he's, 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 you know, on the inside he's telling them to do something and it's kind of scary and because it's so scary and traumatic and and because it seems to be such a great sacrifice involved, and, and let's be honest, following Jesus at times does require sacrifice and he does... Uh, require things of us sometimes and we look at those things and say well I don't like that and I don't think I want to do that and that's when the problems start we get focused on the negative thing and we say Lord I don't have anything against you but I'm just going to have to get away from that thing I'm just going to back away from that because you know I love you but this thing that you're wanting me to do or this thing that you're asking me to stop doing I'm not going to do that I remember when when I was about a junior in Bible college it was 1984 and you have to understand, I grew up in the church. I've, I mean, I'm a, I'm a church boy from way back, so much so that my first grade Sunday school teacher's name was Miss Christian. I mean, it doesn't get any more church and Christian than that. So, um, and there's a whole story there behind Miss Christian. We won't get into that. But, but I had grown up my whole life in the church. All I'd ever known was church. And you've heard me just recently, we talked about uh, your faith becoming your faith. I grew up mom giving me her faith. I grew up on mom's faith coattails and when I went off to Bible college I went off to Bible college with mom's faith I knew there was a God because my mama said there was a God and my mama wouldn't lie to me 
But something has to happen for every adult where they begin to embrace their own faith. And for me, that happened when I was a junior in Bible college. And I got to a place where I was having to prepare sermons and having to prepare sermons on some things that that were supernatural in Scripture. You know, when you preach sermons on Balaam and the talking donkey, that's kind of, you know, it makes you think a little bit. When you preach on Noah and the ark or you preach on Moses parts the sea, it's it's a, you know, all that stuff. And you start to think about, okay, Brett, you're going to graduate and you're going to go take a position at a church somewhere and at some point you will stand up in front of adults and you will preach these things as if they really happened the problem was I was going through a stage in my life where I didn't believe those things had happened and not only did I not believe that those things had happened I wasn't sure that God existed either it's a terrible place to be when you're in Bible college preparing to go tell people that God exists to get to a place where you think you know I don't know I just don't know. And so I had focused in my crisis moment on what I did know and I knew about Jesus. And and sometimes, you know, I didn't even know the verse that we're going to talk about later, um, this thing that Peter said. I didn't re- really even know that in my mind, but really when it came right down to it the thing that I was experiencing as a junior in college is really what Peter kind of hits on a little later in our in our text this morning and and that is really the thing that just kept me going I just kept putting one foot in front of the other for a little bit until I started to kind of come around and I held a lot of things up to the light I mean I went for two weeks three weeks just searching I mean I sat under a tree trying to get God to say something to me that I understood you know and and uh, it was a very difficult period of time some of you know what that's like some of you've been a Christian for a long time and maybe you've got a a job that's been good for a long time and then all of a sudden a new boss or a new philosophy or a new owner or whatever comes in and now you're doing things that you didn't plan to do and they kind of run contrary to your faith and you're not even really sure you may even be opposed to those but you're a small fish in a big pond and the thought of you standing up to say I'm not going to do this just really scares you to death and you start hearing God saying, you know, I don't know if this job's for you anymore. And at that point, you want to say, well, wait, hold on just a minute. You know, I'll follow you, but to make me give up my job to follow you, God, that's a little extreme, and I don't know that I'm ready to go to that place. Or maybe you're in a relationship with somebody, and you get a strong sense from God that this is not the person that you're supposed to settle down with. And all of a sudden, you're following Jesus really starts to cramp your relationship style and he's calling you to some things that you didn't sign up for and you want to say wait a minute or maybe you've got some friends and you are not the influencer among your friends they are influencing you in directions away from God more than you are influencing anyone in God's direction and God begins to talk to you about that and says you know what I think I want you to pick some new friends because these friends aren't good for you and you throw your hands up and say whoa wait a minute if following you means I've got to change out my friendships I'm not sure I'm ready to do that or you're in a marriage that's not good and had been good for a long time in fact you would just say it's bad 
and yet God calls you to stay in that marriage and you're working hard and you, it just, you know, for whatever reason, it's just not something that brings you a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, and yet you hear God say, I want you to stay in that marriage. There's a real temptation to throw your hands up and say, God, I didn't sign up for this. You don't understand. I don't like it. Suddenly in those situations, we get so focused on our comfort, we get so focused on the pain that robs us of that comfort and so focused on the sacrifice we're called to make that the tendency is to step away from Christ. And we never really stop to consider what it is that we're backing away from. All we know is that the pain of following Christ at that moment because he calls me to things and calls me to drop certain things that I don't want to do or that I do want to do that he won't let me do, that it becomes painful so I start to step away. And I step away without ever really thinking about what it is that I'm stepping toward. As I disembrace this, I don't realize that I'm embracing something else. To move in one direction is to, to move away from something is to move in a different direction. There's a great passage of scripture, John chapter 6. And it's a very emotionally charged passage of scripture. There's a lot going on in this passage. One of the disciples is going to make an observation that I want to key on this morning. And it's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's wonderful if you, if you can really latch onto this. It has the potential to turn your life upside down. I mean, this, this is one of those little passages that you would read and something that we're going to say today uh, that, that Peter says that if you could lock into this for your own life, at certain times in your life, I think you might find yourself doing things differently simply because you remember this particular passage. I hope that's the case. A little background for you. Jesus is at the pinnacle of his popularity. Ministry stuff is going great for Jesus. He is hitting on all cylinders, so to speak. And, um, and there's more people following him now than at any other time in his ministry. More people following him at this particular time in scripture than will ever earthly follow him while he was here. He's just fed over 5,000 people, and after having been fed by Jesus, they are ready to make him the king. I mean, they've seen enough, they believe, and, and he puts them off. And he, in a ma- kind of a magical way, this, we're not really sure, the Bible's not real clear, but he just kind of disappears. You know, they're ready to make him a king, and all of a sudden they can't find Jesus. And, you know, suddenly they find out that almost magically he has appeared on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So, you know, their reaction is, well, it's, it's another miracle. So let's, you know, let's, uh, let's all load up. Let's get in our boats, go across the sea, and let's go find Jesus, and let's see what he's going to do next. And they are convinced that he needs to be made king today. Well, during this time, his, his disciples are enjoying a fair share of popularity themselves. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you, if you were a, a friend of, you know, the hot new star you know the Hollywood star I don't know who that is right now Matthew McConaughey is he pretty he's pretty popular Tom Cruise has kind of gone down a little bit hasn't he but pretend you know one of those guys and all you have to do is show up at Tom's house and Tom's going to get you in wherever Tom's going to go and you kind of live the life of a movie star even though you're really not one that's kind of where the disciples were they were associated with Jesus. They were very, very popular. I mean, you know, if people wanted to get close to Jesus, the disciples had people walking up to them saying, hey, can you get me close? Can you get me? You know, and then the disciples probably had a little bit of a big head if we could just guess a little bit because they hung out with Jesus all the time. They knew him. They were one of the 12. And so they were close followers, and and they were enjoying some worldly success. People were enjoying their ministry, and we know from other places in Scripture, people are giving them money. 
uh, to, to fund the ministry and, and uh, everywhere they went crowds of people flocked to hear Jesus speak and the disciples were always close by the disciples were never far off and they expected at any time Jesus to throw off his earthly garb and to proclaim himself Messiah that's what they were waiting for And those 12 disciples had hung with Jesus and were ready to be on his left and his right whenever he decided that he was going to do that and everything was going to be good. And then we come to John chapter 6 and in John chapter 6, Jesus has just escaped the crowd and we find out that he's in Capernaum. And the rush, uh, they, they rush to the synagogue to hear Jesus speak and they fill this synagogue to overflowing. There are people everywhere. The crowd is just huge. And Jesus begins to teach, and suddenly it all takes a really strange turn. And Jesus begins to chastise the people. And he says things like, the only reason you're following me is so that I will feed you. That's the only reason you want to listen to me teach, is that you want me to entertain you, you want me to do another miracle, you want me to feed you, you're just here for a free lunch. That's the only, you don't care what I have to say. Basically, he calls them selfish says that they're in it for themselves and not for him. And they try to manipulate Jesus and they want him to do another miracle. Do another miracle, Jesus. We want to see another miracle. And Jesus begins to chastise him and he says, I, I came from heaven. Verse 41, I am, this is John 6, verse 41, the second part. I am the bread that came down from heaven. They look at him and they're like, what in the world are you talking about? You didn't come from heaven? You came from Bethlehem. You're from Galilee. We know your mom and dad. You come from heaven? And then Jesus begins to teach, and he teaches some very, very strange stuff. Look at verse 53. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Do what? Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Huh? And I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Gross. What is he talking about? See, the Jews wouldn't even touch a dead animal because they would be defiled. To think that they would drink blood was, was just outrageous for them. To touch dead flesh, much less eat it. I mean, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't think of such a thing. And yet Jesus is going on and on. Verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. That is a slight, subtle dig, not so much at Moses, but at the, at the Jews' dependence on Moses and the Jews' um, uh, total being bought into Moses and they, they were so locked into Moses that they were having a hard time embracing Jesus and so this, this is Jesus way of, of kind of sending a, a salvo over the bow so to speak so that he could get their attention your forefathers ate manna and died but he who feeds on this bread will live forever and that's just too strange and the Bible says 
Jesus talked and taught, and as he did, the people started to grumble and complain. And they started to look at each other, and they started to ask, well, you know, what is this about? What is he talking about? What does he mean by all this? This is really hard to understand. And oh, by the way, this sounds like heresy. This sounds like a guy that, that is, has lost his mind. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, normally when you read the book of John, when you read the word disciples, that is not talking about the 12. A lot of times in the book of John, the 12 will be called the 12. The disciples is a word that is used for the bigger group that followed Jesus. There was a huge crowd. There were some people who had basically laid everything down, men and women who had just decided we're going to follow Jesus wherever he goes, and they just tracked with him wherever he went. They were convinced that this was the Messiah, and they wanted to be there when he proclaimed himself the Messiah. The Bible says that this teaching was so strange and so out there that even the people who were committed to following Jesus long-term, who'd been with him for a long time, people other than the 12, they were listening to all this, and they started to think to themselves, you know what, what have we gotten ourselves into? And they started to shake their heads and said, this is just too hard. Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. It was just too weird. It was too strange. Too hard. It didn't make any sense, and, and Jesus sounded crazy. Sounded like a lunatic. Now get the picture Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. The 12 are there. They're close by. They can hear what Jesus is saying. They see the crowd. You know, if we could just imagine, and I don't want to put words in a disciple's mouth, but it wouldn't be too hard to imagine that one disciple looked at another and said, man, can you believe this crowd? Can you just believe what's going on with Jesus? I mean, they just get bigger. It just seems like every time he speaks, there's more people. I mean, it's just awesome. Isn't this cool? And they're all watching this stuff happen. As they stand in close proximity to Jesus, <clears throat> and they've got one eye on Jesus, and they've got one eye on the crowd, and they're watching the crowd as Jesus says these things. And the weirder Jesus teaches, they can see people in the back peeling off, <laughs> disappearing. They're gone. The crowd is starting to thin out just a little. And suddenly they see a shift in the mood of the people and they realize that the interpretations now are different than they have been in some of the other things and that the people are starting to put together that, that Jesus is going to a place that they don't want to go to and they're just really not sure about this whole thing. And the 12 get antsy. And the truth be told, they're trying to decide whether or not they might like to drift off too. You can almost imagine Peter standing up and walking up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, do you see what you're doing? Do you see these people leaving in the back? You know, preach on love. You got a sermon on love? Do that one. You know, that's a family. People like family. Preach on family. Prayer's good. Why don't you preach one on prayer? This whole eat my flesh thing and drink my blood, that, that's got to stop, Jesus. We're, we're losing these people. We're at the height. Things are going good. You're messing it up. They were watching everything change right before their very eyes. And where before they were really proud to be following Jesus, it was, a, you know, it was this good thing to be following Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, 
they weren't so sure. They thought that it was possible that they were following a nut. This guy's crazy. And they were starting to see that it was really, really possible that there was just going to be a handful of them, not very many at all. And we know that they started thinking to themselves as they looked around, maybe we could slip out too. You know, I'll, I'll just kind of slip back here and as this guy walks, I'll just kind of link up with him and walk out with him and nobody will really see me and maybe they won't miss me. But they knew that all of a sudden what had been fun <clears throat> had become very difficult. And all of a sudden the rubber met the road and they had to ask themselves a question. Am I in this for me? Or am I in this for Jesus? And their hearts were exposed and they realized, as we do sometimes, I think, that we look up and we realize, you know what? I think I may be in this whole Christianity Jesus thing for me more than I am in this Jesus and Christianity thing for Jesus. And when we quit getting something out of it, how many times have you heard somebody tell you that they quit going to church because I didn't get anything out of it? You ever heard that? And they say, Jesus, you know, it's been great. <clears throat> really enjoyed following you, but I'm not getting anything out of this anymore. And so, you know, this really is all about me, and I am a consumer. And since I can't consume anymore, I'm going to leave. And the disciples are watching the crowd. The 12 are watching the crowd, and they're listening to Jesus. And then Jesus just nails them. Verse 67, he looks at the disciples, he looks at the 12, and he says, you do not want to leave too, do you? Do you guys want to leave? Do you want to go too? And what do you say to that? You've followed Jesus all over the place, and you have watched him time and time again anticipate what somebody is going to answer to a question that he has yet to ask. He could read their minds. He, he knew what people were going to say. What do you say to a guy who can read your mind when he looks at you and he knows what you're thinking and he says, do you want to leave too? You try and lie to him in Buffalo? No. All of a sudden, there's a very awkward moment. Do you guys want to leave too? And nobody, I think, wanted to make eye contact with Jesus. You know, this is one of those moments like you just put your head down and you're waiting on somebody. It's one of those moments where when you were in the room, when you were in school, and the teacher was mad and was asking a question, and you, you just knew that there was really only one person in the room probably really knew the answer, and you were so hoping they would stand up and volunteer and say, I know the answer. You know, you ever done that? And everybody else just puts their head down. In Greek class, when I was in Bible college, there were certain things that, that if... Our Greek professor, if he found out, if he could figure, we had Greek homework every night, and I was expected to come back to class every day, I had Greek every day, and the first thing we did was take a quiz. <clears throat> we, would, it was a, we just knew, that's how, that's how he took attendance, he took up our quiz papers. And so, then we would have to go through every word in our homework, we basically were given three or four passages of scripture to in Greek, and we were supposed to go translate all that, and I was supposed to be able to walk into Greek the next day and read the Greek, and then read it, translate it in English without any English in front of me, mind you, and then if he asked me, if he saw me struggle with a certain word, he would, he would hone in. He would realize that I, I, maybe I hadn't done my homework as well as I should have, and he would hone in on that word. Brett, 
or he would, it, was, it wasn't Brett, it was Wilson. What's the declension of that word? Oh. We called it being taken to the hoop. And, and his name was Professor Richardson, but uh, we called him, he talked real Southern, and we called him Tex, although not to his face. And, and it, you know, you could just tell when you were standing outside the classroom when you were waiting to go in for the next class, the class coming out, you could tell if Tex had taken somebody to the hoop. It was not pretty because the whole room, it's just, it, just, it, was, it was excruciating for everybody, not just the guy that was on the hot seat, for everybody. It was just miserable because we were all in it together. And, you know, if one guy got nailed, it was like, oh. One, the, the rumor has it, this is not in the notes, but this is so much fun, I want to tell you this. He, one time he caught a guy that hadn't done his homework, and it was so bad that the guy, when he asked him to do, to, to do the word, he did it in the way that it was, he thought it was a verb, and it was actually a noun, which was the first clue to text that this guy has no clue. And so he asked him, you know, and, and he, all text ever had was this paper in his hand, and so he would, he would work off the homework, and he said, uh, panel, read me some Greek and he read the Greek and he totally messed it up and then he said can you tell me about that word and the guy tried to do the word and gave it a noun and it was a verb and they say that Tex just dropped his paper and looked out the window and said panel I've been teaching Greek for 20 years and that is absolutely the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life so this is the kind of guy we're dealing with and he would just slay you if he ever sniffed out that you hadn't done your homework and and whenever he would kind of get on the prowl looking for that person everybody else would just kind of put their head down you know like oh don't look at him don't look at him i think that's where the disciples were i think that they realize jesus is about to take somebody to the hoop you don't want to leave too do you the guy that can read minds is asking this question and, and there had to have been some kind of pause. We don't know how long, but there had to have been some kind of awkward pause. And you know what's going through their hearts and their minds is, yeah, in my heart, I think I'd like to leave. But I don't dare tell the Son of God that I want out. What do you say? What do you do when Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the mind reader, the miracle worker looks at you and you've already had the thought in your head I wonder if I could slip out with everybody else over here while he's not looking and he looks at me directly and he says do you want to leave too and in that moment God loved Peter you just gotta love Peter because Peter Peter is my man in scripture because I just love him he he tries so hard and (laughs) In this moment, he asks a very, very relevant question. It's a question that you and I have to ask from time to time because let's face it, we are gonna go through things in this Christian walk that are difficult. If you're not a believer this morning and you're in the room and you're listening to me speak and you're, you're wondering about this whole Jesus thing, can I just be real honest with you and tell you this is not a cakewalk, this is not easy and there will be times that Jesus is gonna tell you to do things or require things of you or ask you to make a sacrifice and you're gonna say, this is hard. And any Christian that tells you that that never happens is lying to you. There are moments and there are times when it just gets painfully difficult. And this is the question, the question that Peter is about to ask is the question we have to ask every time we're confronted 
It is the thing, it is the question that moves us through these difficult situations. Verse 68, Peter says this, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You see, while everybody else is focused on the sacrifice they're being asked to make, we are being asked to follow a madman. This guy has lost his mind. Where did he get this whole drink blood, eat flesh thing? This is crazy. What in the world are we doing here? Peter is able to push back from the table and look at the big picture, and the question he asks is, if I'm not going to follow this guy, who am I going to follow? Because to say no to Jesus was to say yes to someone or something else. Yeah, Jesus, this is tough, but to whom shall I go? Where else or, or, or who can I follow? If not your teaching, whose teachings? If you're not going to be the Lord and master of my life, who's going to be the Lord and master of my life? If not your agenda, whose agenda? And Peter realized if you walk away from Jesus, you're walking towards something else. What is that something else? Lord, where am I going to go? Then he goes on to make two observations, the second part of verse 68. You have the words of eternal life. There are other options. There's the get rich option. There's the cut and run option. There's the stay here and hope we stay popular option. There's the run and hide option. There are other options to following Jesus than, than, than to just follow Jesus, but none of those hold the promise of eternal life. To whom shall we go? And besides, verse 69, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You know what he's saying? Jesus, I've seen enough and I've heard enough to know. And I am absolutely convinced that you are who you say you are. And I can run and I can hide and I can drift away. But if I do, I will run and hide and drift away from the one that I know is the son of God. I know who you are. It isn't that I don't believe, Jesus. And if I run from you, I run fully well knowing that you are who you say you are. I've seen too much. And I know that because I've seen too much, Peter would say, I would be back. Yeah, this stinks and this is hard and my future's not nearly as promising this morning, uh, today, uh, this afternoon after you get done teaching about drinking blood and eating flesh as it was this morning. But Jesus, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We will know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, in 1984, I didn't, this verse wasn't hitting me like it does today, and, and I didn't know to teach this, and, and I wasn't thinking about this in 1984 when I was wondering, what are you doing here? What, what in the world are you thinking that you're going to go teach adults that a donkey talked to somebody, that, that Noah loaded animals two by two on an ark? That's, that's great for Sunday school, but Brett, you're going to tell adults these stories, and they're going to look at you and they're going to think you've got idiots stamped across your head. What are you thinking? But really, when I started to investigate what my options were, have you looked at the options? <laughs> Brett, 
what else would you do? Where else would you go? Who else offers you the hope of eternal life? Because you don't just run from Jesus, you run to something or someone else. We live in a world where people back themselves into all kinds of problems, and they don't do it on purpose. It's an accident. The, the problems that you see people encounter, many, many times they've encountered because they were backing away from something else. They didn't wake up and say, I'm going to just shove myself into this bad mess here. No one does that. And they, they really didn't consider any of the other options. And there are other options. We'll just, there are other options. There's the performance option. I'm just going to be a good person. I'm just going to do the best I can. That's an option. There's some problems with it. One of the problems is that it does not hold the promise of eternal life. You know, this is what I know. I know that, that I'm going to die one day. Now, that might not bother you. But that poses a problem for me because I want to know what happens to me after I die. Being good is an option, but being good does not give you the option of and the hope of eternal life. You're just not that good. Most people try to be good. But if that's the case, why do we create such problems? You know, I said, I've said in sermons before, you're not a good person who occasionally does bad. You're a bad person who occasionally gets it right. I said that one time to a good friend of mine. They pushed back and said, Brett, I don't agree with that. I said, okay, here's what I would ask you. If you are genuinely, if you're inherently a good person, then why can't you be good all the time? Because that's not you and that's not me. We are not good. We are inherently bad and sometimes we get it right. Another option is freedom. You can do the freedom option. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I don't have to follow him. I don't have to follow her. I don't have to follow anybody. I make my own rules. I set my own agenda. I do it my way. I've got all the freedom. The problem with freedom is that it's really not freedom. Outside the parameters of God's ethics and morals, there really isn't freedom. You are free to do some things, but eventually the things that you're free to do, you become bondage to anyway. You can exploit your freedom all you want. It eventually ends up not being freedom anymore. Prisons are full of people who wanted to be free. And they've lost all their freedom, and it's an extreme, but it's an example of how freedom can lead you to places that you don't want to go. There are other options, other religions. I don't have to follow Jesus, I'll just choose another religion. Problem with that is the minute you do that, you're right back to the being good option because all the other religions are about being good. I'm going to be as good as I can and hope that there is a God out there. Wow, I almost lost it. Hope that there's a God out there somewhere that will send me a report card to let me know how good I am and let me know you've got to be this, this semester in not using bad words. That's an option. There, there are other options, but the problem is none of them offer eternal life. Peter realized it and he said, if I'm not going to follow you, who am I going to follow? Where am I going to go? 
no I don't like this Jesus I don't understand what you're saying it sounds like you're a crazy man to me right now I know I don't get any of it but but Jesus where would I go only you have the words of eternal life and you are the holy one of God Some of you could stand up and give your testimony this morning and you could say, when I was 16 or 17 years old, I I, I bet there's a bunch of people in the room that could do this. When I was 16 or 17 years old, I decided that I didn't want to follow Jesus anymore, that it just looked too hard, that, you know, I didn't want to embrace my parents' faith. It looked like it had too many restrictions for me. And so I made a choice and I made a decision to just walk away from Jesus. And I never really considered what it was that I was walking into. I just knew that I was going to walk away from Jesus. And now that I'm 35, I'm back. And I've walked through all kinds of stuff I wish I'd never seen. I'm 40 and I'm back. I'm 45 and I'm back. I'm 23 and I'm back. Because man, the options stink. I wish I'd thought about that as I walked away from Jesus. You're here today and you've been a Christian a long time, but all of a sudden this whole following Jesus thing is making demands on you and I don't know. Let me tell you, before you step away, before you chuck it all and say, ah, it's Jesus thing. It's a little too hard for me. You better consider the options. Before you say no to Jesus, you better consider what saying no to Jesus means in terms of saying yes to someone or something else. Or maybe you're not a Christian and somebody's invited you and you're, you're here just because you're being nice to them and, and you, know, you're, you would honestly say, I try not to think about it. I just try not to think about the whole you know what happens to me after I die thing I don't, I don't want to think about that that's too hard I, I just put it out of my mind can I just say this as gently and as lovingly as I know how to say it that is a foolish foolish thing to do do you realize what is at stake that there if there really is a God and if Jesus Christ is his son that your eternity is at stake and if you've decided to say no to Jesus that's your business but you need to understand that in saying no to Jesus you have embraced other options and those options do not carry with them the one thing that you really need which is the hope of eternal life yes following Jesus could cost you something but refusing to follow Jesus could cost you everything What a brilliant line. You know, Peter, I think if we were going to embellish what Peter said a little bit, we might say it like this. Yeah, Jesus, um, you know, I'd like to go. I'd like to get in with the rest of the crowd. Yes, I don't like this, but I'll be honest. Jesus, when I consider the options, I'm still going to follow you. And when I consider what you offer, you still have the best plan. Let me talk to teenagers just for a minute because... Here's what I would say to teenagers. You will be very tempted when you turn 16 or 17 and you get a little freedom. Very tempted when you become a freshman in college and you have opportunities to get away from mom and dad. You'll be very tempted to walk away from your faith. You've grown up and you've seen the truth, heard the truth, you've heard the stories, you know Jesus is who he says he is, you know all that. I want to tell you that if you walk away from Jesus when you get to college or when you get to a place of freedom that you consider freedom, if you walk away from Jesus, here's what I would tell you. I would promise you this. You will be back. 
you will be back. You may be 35 or 45 and you'll have all kinds of scars and all kinds of baggage and you will have hurts and you will have seen things and done things that you wish you'd never seen and you'd never done and you'll have all the scars to prove it. But you'll come back. Or you can decide to follow him right now through thick and thin and ask yourself this one question, to whom would I go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Because I'm telling you, you're going to end up right where you started. You have seen too much. You know too much. If you've grown up in church, you know too much. Following Jesus is difficult. Refusing to follow Jesus is more difficult. The challenge this morning is if not him, who? If not his plan, whose plan? Yeah, at times it's hard, but it's still the best plan around. And before you walk away from Jesus, you need to consider who or what it is that you are backing into because you're backing into something. We're going to sing in just a minute um, How Great Is Our God. What a, I love this song. Um, and as we sing it, I hope it just kind of washes over you, this whole idea of how great is our God. There is no one like him. He is faithful and just and true and sometimes he makes demands on us and sometimes he asks us to do things that just seem crazy to us. But how great is our God? If you've never given your life to Christ, I would invite you this morning, consider your options and you tell me if there's anything else out there that offers you the hope of eternal life. And if not, and you decide this morning, eternal life is what I want, then when we stand and sing, you can make a decision for Christ and you can be a believer let's pray together father we uh it's so easy to get distracted and just about the time we we decide what we don't want we really aren't thinking a whole lot about what we're moving toward as we get away from that thing that we don't want father you are so incredibly patient with us Yes, you make demands. Yes, you call us to things that are hard. Yes, we balk from time to time. And Father, some of us have even walked away and we've just said, it's too hard, I can't listen to that. Maybe what's going on this morning, Lord, is that somebody's in this room and they're saying, I'm back, I want to come back. This thing Brett's talking about, Peter's right. Where else would we go? Where else would I go? So this morning, God, would you just meet us wherever we are? Some of us are just so rock solid on this whole idea that no matter what you say, we're going to do it, that they didn't really need this sermon. But some of us, Lord, we were wavering. We were on the fence. And I pray that you would just do a work and you would put that question in the forefront of our mind for the rest of the week to get us through situations that are difficult. Father, where else would we turn but to you? Peter was right. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. It is his sacrifice on the cross that redeems us, buys us back, cleanses us from all our unrighteousness and makes us holy. Holy. It's just not a word that seems to fit us. But that's how you see us when we belong to you and we thank you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.